Hi everybody, thank you for joining us today. My name is Dr. Elizabeth Dalgarno. I'm the chair and founder of Shiro Research Group and a lecturer at the University of Manchester. And this is our first Shiro podcast, um, which we decided to call uh, Domestic Abuse Island Discs or DA Island Discs. And we chose this name because we hope that we can use this space to speak to others about their experiences of, of working or being in the domestic abuse sector. And we're really passionate about the power of music and art to heal and to empower people, to uplift them and to grow. And we're asking guests to bring along with them a song to discuss what that means to them and their journey. Um, just to note, there will be obviously some distressing details discussed, so please do take care and we will provide links to support services that people can uh, access in the podcast link. So we're so grateful today to have with us for our first podcast, Sam Beckinsale. So Sam is an actor, a writer, a producer and a DA advocate. She's best known for her TV work in shows such as London's Burning, Time After Time and various other dramas and comedies. She's a veteran of domestic abuse, and she is now the patron of Brockstow Women's Project, Surviving Economic Abuse Ambassador, a White Ribbon Champion, and a Safe Lives Net, uh, National Network Pioneer. She's also created the film uh, Love, which is a feature docudrama about coercive and controlling behavior, alongside award-winning director Jason Figgis and award-winning author Simon Golding. And Sam is involved with various organisations such as the Employers Initiative on Domestic Abuse, uh, UK Police Forces and Grassroots Domestic Abuse Sector Initiatives globally, who all have one aim to end domestic abuse in all its forms for everyone. And we'll post links to all these fabulous groups and to Sam's film along with the podcast link. So welcome, Sam. Well, hello, and hello. thank you for having me. It's so nice. It's so I'm, nice to be here. I'm so, so thrilled to have you here, Sam. We've, um, we've known each other for a little while now, haven't we? And we've, we've had a few discussions, and um, I felt like we twigged straight away. We really connected, didn't we? And I, I was so pleased that you said yes to this, because, as you know, I'm a massive fan of you and all your work and especially the film love which we're going to get on to talking about in a little while but I wondered if you could start by telling us all a bit about your career and what brought you to the sector. Well I started out um, as an actor, um, grew up I was um, at a stage in my career but you know it's successful, I had um, you know, a house in the country, a pad in London. I was literally having the time of my life. I was very lucky. Uh, I wasn't brought up in a privileged life, but um, I earned one and I I enjoyed it, but I knew it for what it was. You know, I was partying. I was, anybody around me would would have said that, um, that I would be the last person they would expect to be full prey to domestic abuse. Um, and I certainly, you know, didn't take any truck from anybody. Um, you know, there are quite a few 
directors and and producers who male you know like you know the likes of Michael Binner I've had my own Epstein moment all of that kind of thing mm. um and I just wouldn't that just wouldn't cross my mind you know if anybody had so much as raised a finger to me they'd have been out of the door that's it mm-hmm. um and I got caught out because I didn't understand the non-direct physical violence aspects of domestic abuse. I believed that that, that the same as everybody else, that it was all just about the the direct physical violence is how I call it. Because there are violences, it's all violence, but the direct physical violence. um, So, I, then I disappeared into the abyss of abuse. Um, and when I escaped and drew breath and thought about it, and obviously, like an awful lot, like most um, survivors or veterans or whatever, you want to do your utmost so that it never happens to anybody else again, because once you've experienced it, it changes you. It does change you. Um, you can't go back. That doesn't necessarily think mean it's a bad thing, but it does change you. But I felt that I, if I just did it from the sidelines, I was being a little bit hypocritical. And... I'm not daft. I know that my my name and my platform before um, a lot of people won't know me now, but because I, I haven't been on the telly for a long time. But there are younger people don't really know. But, you know, in my prime, I was it was we had viewers of 18 million a, a week. You know, London's burning was huge. Um, Massive. Yeah. And, and as were the others. You know, we don't get those figures anymore. And I've never. I've never wanted to or been comfortable with and have avoided like plague using my platform name, whatever you want to call it, for for, for anything. I've always did. I just love my work. So I spoke to the family and everything and I said, look, this is what I want to do because I feel it was so important. It's all very well, people supporting it and saying stop domestic abuse and all the rest of it one of the things that I realized it can happen to anybody and it's perpetrated by anybody Mm. it's not just on a Friday night with somebody in his wife Peter vest and Stella in his hand you know it is across the board it's literally it doesn't matter what 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 color creed race sexuality gender whatever you are it is nothing to do with that there is a fundamental behavior that one person inflicts on another and it was that understanding of of that that's what I had to come to grasp to to understand that I had to learn myself how the hell had I got in this position how how had it happened? How would I let this happen to me? In inverted commas. Um, but the, the so it's like, well, how how can I marry the two? And Jason 
and Simon and I were talking. I've known Simon forever and a day, and he introduced me to Jason, and we got talking. And then, and and just out of my seeing globally, one of the biggest things that really got me was no matter where you looked, I'd read or hear or see the set my life, what had happened to me, the set the world over. And it's like, how can this be? Mm. How can this be the same? And I don't know how many times I've heard, do they have a manual? Do they yes. go to abuse school? Do they, and I, it's what I called my OMG moments. So where you go, oh my God, that's my, life. you know, mm. where we can finish. I know that you could start a sentence about the abuse and I could finish yeah. whatever it was that would happen and vice versa yeah. you know we are not psychic um you know we haven't got any kind of special skills except for that experience and that knowledge is pretty darn phenomenal mm. and is only just being recognized yeah as a really vital element to stopping abuse so some people Call say say experts by experience. Some people call it victim's voice, um, and that's that's how it just happened. It came together. We filmed it in lockdown, so there was lots of out of the box thinking. But everything in the film, every single element, even the bits that people don't like, is very deliberate. Mm -hmm. Because the other thing that I noticed was it's really confronting even I can't watch some stuff because you know especially when there's the direct physical violence mm. um and it's like how sensorially how do we allow audiences to be able to watch something to engage to therefore understand yeah so what we hoped we'd created was a global, out of all those global voices, one voice telling all of those fundamental, necessary bits to understand in a safe way where people are either, you know, either validated or finally understand it. And it's not just for victim survivors, it's actually for those who haven't yet experienced it or know about it or who, or who are supporting somebody who has, or don't even realize that what they're suffering is abuse. Is now, well, you see, this, this is one of the things, it's like we say we don't know it's abuse. We know it's abusive, but we don't think that it's enough for yeah. people to call it out. Yeah. And this is this is what There's I There's a threshold. Mm -hmm. And it's like actually the threshold isn't up here when they when they beat you black and blue physically. The threshold is actually from the from the moment they target you and the moment they start with the coercive and controlling behavior. And it's about moving that threshold for me. So Absolutely. one of the first things that I did, talking about the arts and everything, was um, the I Am Project, mm. which was uh, with 
Ali Crew, who is an award-winning photographer at Safe Lives. And there was, Ali came, she spent a year as a photographer in residence at, at Safe Lives. And there was a call out for survivors for a photographic exhibition. So like I say, I spoke to my family and I thought, well, I'm going to put my head above the parrot parapet and say me too mm. because I just I just felt like I couldn't not do something um I felt just felt so complicit knowing once I started to understand and once I realized that this is something that was patterned and that they do again and again and again and that it was so prevalent I literally I, I couldn't live with myself knowing that maybe just maybe I could have done a little bit of something that just one person would go oh I need to get out or whatever mm. um so this exhibition which was phenomenal happened oh, in, it was absolutely amazing it was it was it, yeah it, it, I mean it was mega seeing it at night so there was for anybody who didn't see it, there were these massive portraits in these perspex boxes outside of the library in Manchester. Mm. And I have to say, Manchester is an amazing city. Oh, yeah. Especially in terms of its um, DA support and, and its initiatives and its energy. Definitely. It's, it's, it gives me goosebumps. I've got, I've got them now. Um, so there we were, like soldiers outside the front of in these perspex boxes, these incredible portraits of all sorts of people from all walks of life. It looked amazing lit up at night as well, yeah. didn't they? It, it looked absolutely fantastic. And like I said, it gave me goosebumps and everyone I've spoken to who saw it said the same thing, you know, the power to raise awareness. It was just immense. It was such, such a fantastic, exhibition um I, I wanted to ask you um about about a bit more about love sam yeah um one of the things i really loved about love was that you for me you got this balance really well where you showed that anybody can be impacted like you've just said anyone can be impacted anyone can be a perpetrator but you also made it very clear that it's a really gendered um form of abuse and 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 in particular I thought that you captured the characteristics of coercive control so well and and for me the essence of um betrayal and utter devastation particularly because of often as we both know victim survivors you know the love for them is genuine it, you know they 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 feel they're genuinely in a loving relationship or or in love with somebody. Oh, and absolutely! To yeah. find out you've 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 been utterly betrayed, and some of the figurative language that you use, it just it gives me goosebumps. And I texted you last night, didn't I? And I was every time I watch it, I just weep all the way through because it's so powerful. But one of the one of the similes that you used, which oh god it just goes it gives me goosebumps every time 
you talk about it's like it, he he watches you like a child who's poured salt on a slug oh and I just thought that is just so powerful that imagery um and you you also talk which we'll talk a bit bit more later about this but you also talk um about the family courts and as you know yeah. this this is something that that we're really focused on at Shearer and um and one of the things you you talk about is how how parents and in particular mothers how they how they cope and how the child copes when they come back from a visitation that the the court has ordered and forced the child to go to this visit with an abuser and then they come back and often they feel suicidal and I just thought you know these experiences that you captured in the film were so rich um how did you go about putting together um ideas about examples to include and what was the, what was the process like in developing the film well the process in terms of developing the film was was simon saying sammy you can do this um, <laughs> number one but i also i so I, what what i did was you know, started with a timeline, um, which is basically just a list of events. So what I looked at was what were some of the most commonest um, events that, that happened in all of these relationships, no matter what. And yes, you're absolutely right. One of my biggest things was about finding that balance between it being gendered and yet not at the same time and how do we do that and how do we get over that thing of you know well it happens to me too yes it happens to you too but because we're talking about it happening to to women doesn't mean that we're excluding mm. anybody else it's just that the, the balance is tipped and you know we can have lots of conversations about patriarchy and the way our society is set up you know just getting married a woman gives up her own name so yeah you know the signal that that sense but that's a deeper much broader societal conversation to be having mm -hmm. um but that that was something that that bothered me I spoke to and I spoke to one of one of um some you know a, a male a gay male you know and I said how come if it's gendered how come I can finish your sentences and you can finish mine. It was a revelation to him as well that he could that he could finish mine, you know, but we have different relationships. And it was things like that that made me realise that this is almost about a personality type. If we can start shifting some of the perspectives away from some of the myths to a to thinking about it as, as as a personality you know not necessarily a personality disorder or anything like that but as a personality type you know um same as in the pub when you you so you know somebody's gonna get leery when they have a few pints you know you'll you know who they are you know what they are and you might avoid them late at night because you, you might end up being in in the fight that they end up having do you know what I mean it's a type that I don't think we recognise operates in our society 
across the board in full view, you know, there's a really interesting thing and it links to the courts as well about what's coming out now about the similarities between um, domestic adult abuse and paedophilia in terms of the grooming and in terms of the psychological abuse that takes place and things like that. Now we recognize that in paedophilia, we need to start recognizing that in domestic abuse society as well. So it was like, how do I bring all of these things together? Um, and I just thought, well, I'll just start with that question. Why doesn't she leave? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And thinking about all of those reasons of why we don't leave. That question that's asked time and again. Um, but what also what was really, really important to me were things like the suicides and the children. I am so over the moon that children are now recognised as victims in their own right. And I'd also asked, um, I mean, a good, a good while ago, ask a friend of mine who's a um, psychoanalyst, psychology person. And I said, is it possible if somebody abuses the other parent of their child you've you know you've fallen in love you've had you've created this life together your parents together that's forever you know marriage great but it is a piece of paper but once you have a child that is forever forever and ever you're you're joined how can somebody or is it possible in the brain physically in the brain for somebody who has the capability to destroy the other parent, then just switch and be a healthy, safe exactly. parent to the child. Is that actually physically, psychologically able to happen in the brain? Because to me, it, it is not. Yeah. And this idea that abuse happens in silo you know, and Dr. Emma Katz, who who we both know, her coercive her, her work and, and on coercive control is brilliant because the children are weaponized. Oh yeah. Quantum. You know, the triangulation in the relationships between the parent and the child. And it happens and between siblings mm -hmm. as well, and between other mm -hmm. relations. You know, these these people are, abusers they they can't they can mask and be somebody wonderful for a certain amount of time <laughs> but at some point they literally cannot resist manipulating they can't resist punishing they can't resist that pain for whatever reason it it gives them yeah it's really interesting because i have lots of conversations with different people about um you know sort of what what is it that makes a perpetrator tick and I I, I do understand and, and a lot of the arguments about personality and and I, I see why a lot of people make those arguments I mean I for me personally it's it's inextricably tied to to patriarchy to entitlement yeah. to male privilege to structured gendered violence you know um 
I mean, our systems are that, you know, they're run by and for males and and um, obviously male entitlement then follows um, from a very young age. I think a lot of boys pick up quite early that, you know, they they are more more privileged than girls. But what I will say is it's, you know, I'm not closed off to the idea of a personality. Um, I just I worry about perpetrators using that as a get out of jail free card but also I think ultimately we've we've both agreed in the past haven't we that you know a perpetrator chooses to abuse don't they that's what I was just going to say and the thing about it being a personality type is precisely that so you know if you've got a personality type right for instance I'll use this as an example and it's about using language and changing language and you know I'm not going to I'm I'm not I'm not you know 100% expert on this at all in any way shape or form I'm just at the beginning of my journey so I'm learning as I was going I'm going along so it's like figuring out what how can we find other words or other ways of expressing what we mean that shifts it away from what's so entrenched and I agree with you about patriarchy mm-hmm. um But, for example, if we use the film industry, right, in the UK, if you are an actor, even the lead actor, and you're late on set, uh, you're rude to the crew, you think you're a big I am, odds are you won't work very often. Eventually, you know, you'll get a reputation for being difficult to work. And in the UK film industry, you won't, you know, they won't want you. In the US, it's different. All of that same behaviour is seen as a positive and is what makes you, in inverted commas, a star. It's not only enabled, it's actually encouraged. Mm. So the environment that somebody's personality has... Interesting. ...can flourish or be shut down. So our environment, I absolutely agree with you, right the way through, is this patriarchal system... Mm that I think is not only damaging to women, but actually damaging to a lot of men who don't have or don't want to be a part a part, of, and have those traits. Mm-hmm. You know, they're seen as wusses or, or, or oh, yeah. you know, or, you know, <coughs> sorry, excuse me, or whatever. You know, whereas to me, there's nothing more masculine than somebody who is so confident in their own being and and body and sex and gender or whatever that they don't have to belittle and push down anybody else you know that is hot ass as far as I'm concerned (laughs) you know that's 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 real proper man um so it's about changing that societal view I mean you know we're not going to get rid of it completely because our system supports it, our courts support it. I mean, it's things like, you know, people don't know that when you report to the police, um, all of a sudden, as a victim, you are no longer, you're you're there to support the Crown. Mm. That's what you're there for. You switch all of a sudden. You know, victims don't have they don't have their own representation. They don't have their own support. It then becomes a theatre of, of mm. 
one barrister, one you know, the, the, the Crown prosecution with their wig on and their gowns and their flappage mm. against somebody who's not, you know, yet the perpetrator has their own barrister. They have their own representation. And that filters through right the way through to things like the police federation. Mm-hmm. You know, a perpetrator in the police will get support, their own barrister, their own solicitor, all of that kind of thing, time off work and everything. The victim doesn't get any of that. Mm-hmm. So we're just left wafting. Um, really interesting what you just said about the theatrics of a court. I've thought this so many times about, you know, the the, the, imp- the imposing nature of, of the buildings, the, yeah. the wigs, the, the outfits. I've thought this so many times, and it's really interesting on the flip side. Um, a lot of our participants have talked about, you know, this sort of Kafkaesque nature yeah. of the courtroom. And I, I know that's family court, but I, I wanted to ask you about this. No, but even criminal court, and it is Kafkaesque. Definitely, and it is, definitely. You know, and, and the fact that it's secret. How many people know that it's secret? Yeah. We have secret courts in this country where, and it's not secret as in, and I get it. I get I get the fact that it should be confidential because there are children involved and there's there's mm-hmm. private things. Not everybody wants to be public about everything. And that absolutely has to be. But but we don't have to name children, do we? No, there's a difference between confidentiality and safeguarding mm-hmm. and secrecy. And when somebody who is actually in that court mm-hmm. as a as a um, either a defendant or but name mainly a defendant is not even allowed to tell their own family members what they are going through, or they will be mm-hmm. thrown into prison. That we're we talk about dictatorships. Mm-hmm. I'm sorry, but it's there. This is this is a, a a massive part of our the fabric of our justice system, and it is justice, whether it's criminal or civil. It's still justice. And isn't it interesting that actually what perpetrators do is they isolate the victims, don't we? As we know. Yeah. And isn't it interesting that then the, the courts are, are isolating their victims? <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Both, both, like I say, both in the, the criminal mm-hmm. and civil civil courts. You know, there's our criminal. So our criminal justice system. This is what I believe is currently broken. Mm-hmm. Right. Our family courts are brutal and dangerous. They are not there for the best interests of the child. Mm-hmm. Or anybody else, for that matter, um, other than than whoever has got access to the best, whatever. But it is patriarchal, um, and our civil courts, you know, the like. So whether you're talking about sort of in the sense of like defamation things like that, are weaponized. A hundred percent. So, you know, but what's interesting is that government and all of those government and, and, and everything recognises that this is happening between oligarchs and independent journalists and solicitors and barristers and stuff are saying we're bringing our own code where you can't use these things. Um, you can't NDAs and all this, this silencing. It's silencing, silencing, silencing. Mm-hmm. 
all the way across the board. And what you've got right at the heart of it, and actually I do want to say this, it, yes, because Tashira, what, what you do, and, and you know, I'm passionate about the children as well, but this isn't exclusive to, to victims with children. It happens whether you've got children or not, it's just children are an extra weapon in the arsenal for abusers. And the other thing is this idea that because you create, physically create a child, you then become a parent is wrong, oh, I believe. Yeah. You know, being a parent is very different from birthing or fathering a mm -hmm. child. Mm-hmm. You know. Um, we could again, a huge yeah. rabbit hole here about... Sorry. No, 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 it's it's amazing. Um, I, I'm just thinking, you know, we, I, I, I mean, I could go on and on about about motherhood and and what I believe is um, a, an attack on motherhood. Um, yeah. But we'll 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 we'll, we'll have another. That's for another one. That's for another one. That's for another one. <laughs> but, uh, yes. But you, you brought up the police, and I really wanted to ask you about the police because I know that you work with them. Yeah. So we saw recently the the findings of the Casey review, which were absolutely catastrophic. Yeah. Um, the misogyny and the racism, and and then we also know that um, I think it's one percent of rapes that are reported actually result in a conviction, and we also, as we've discussed, we know there's this disbelief in family court. But do you have faith that victim survivors can safely report to the police right um i think it is still extremely hit and miss so i would not recommend across the board i was somebody so when i grew up it was you know the police the priests the teachers you just respected them they you know they and they were the people you could go to they were the people that you could trust if you were in trouble. I don't know how how many times, you know, that's what I was brought up. If you ever, you're ever lost, you're ever in danger, whatever, look for a policeman. And there you go. And full, and dis safe. full disclosure from me here, I have uh, two, two of my brothers are police officers. So I, I don't I don't want to give the impression that I'm anti-police. I'm actually. No, and neither am I. Both, and there's, both, yeah. yeah. <laughs> there's a difference. There's a difference. I am not anti-police at all. Um, somebody actually called me a critical friend, which I think is quite a, a good way that. of putting it. Um, because, number one, the case you review, absolutely. Number one, it is not just the Met. There is actually a national directive for all of those things that are in the case you review. There is a national directive for every force. The other thing is, is the fact that our police forces were cut to the bone. So officers were got rid of. Absolutely. Funding was got rid of. And then there was a knee jerk of, we need 20,000 more officers. <laughs> so what we then had was, so you've got police forces mm. who, are have, who are, have been re reactive because of directives from higher up politicians government so i think we need to broaden yes absolutely our our 
police forces are are shot. Mm-hmm. We have pockets, but you can have, you know, you can have one area in a police force that's absolutely fantastic. Mm-hmm. They've had the training, or there's somebody who just gets it. Then you get shifted to another station, and it's just full of mm-hmm. the misogyny, the racism. They're like, what are you talking about? You're wasting our time. Mm-hmm. You know? It's a mess. It's an absolute mess. But I don't believe that the police can do it on their own. I also believe it's so much bigger than that, because even if the police get it right, then you've got to go to the CPS. Mm -hmm. Who's training the CPS? And then even if the CPS get it right, you've got you get to the court. You've not only got the judge, Mm. but you've got the jury. Oh, God. Yeah. So it to me, it's a societal problem. This is something that's been flagged up. But I think if we turn around and go, it's just a mess, it's just a mess, it's just, it's not. Yeah. It's not. And actually, I know, I do know that there are some people, you know, there are pockets in various forces around the court, the, the country who are doing phenomenal things exactly who are really driving change internally in order to engage externally who are as passionate and gutted as we are that these crimes are are are, are decriminalized but you know i know as i'm sure you do there are people whose cases are taking two, three, four years Completely to get right. to court. Yeah. The perpetrators are calling the shots for mm-hmm. everybody. Every, they're taking the mick out of everybody. Mm-hmm. You know, oh, of out of everybody. Yeah. And so, this is Charlotte mm-hmm. Proudman talks about, doesn't she? You know, effectively, we, we are, we've decriminalised rape because if, mm. if there is no trial, if there is no punishment, you may as well send a clear message that go ahead and rape because nobody's going to be punished. Well, yeah, but it's also like with domestic abuse. You know, you have these cases and, they, you know, a, a, a force has got it together. The the um, the target has gone through the whole process. All of that trauma for a judge to turn around and say, A, they're of good character and they've got a good job. What has that got to do with anything? (laughs) Jimmy Savile was one of the biggest stars in the world. He was advising royalty. Mm -hmm. He was sat on everybody's sofa, you know? He was was a saint. He was a hero. Mm. So his character references and his job, peachy. Mm -hmm. Doesn't change what he did. And this is what I mean about the links between how we get it in that aspect so there is but and the part of the reason for doing love and for doing it the way we did and having the production values that it's got doing it as a feature so we didn't want it dark and dingy we wanted it to be beautiful because these relationships are beautiful they're meant to be beautiful they're made to be beautiful otherwise you wouldn't look at these people twice you know, they are accomplished seducers. Mm-hmm. You know, they are the Casanovas. They are the, the you know, the, 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 the... Look at Boris. 
right? No, and I don't yeah, no. have to be really mean. Do we, do we have to? <laughs> no, but do you see what I mean? Right, so Boris is not your classically good-looking, handsome man. Mm. But look at the array of women he gets. He has something where he can seduce. Mm-hmm. He can engage. He can override all of these you know, Love Island physical aspects, you know? And I think he's really, I mean, I don't want that to come across like, um, you know. um, Sure. In fact, it's the other way around, because I completely believed it is, for me, it is not what anybody looks like at all. It's their behaviour, it's their mind and everything. But I think he's a really good example, Mm. you know, because actually he's behaved badly as well. That's the other thing. It's not just about what he looks. He's behaved badly, not only with previous women, but in a really public sense. Mm. And yet he's got this gorgeous, intelligent array of women who fell for him time and time again. I think it comes back, doesn't it, often to the the single incident approach, doesn't it? People people see these 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 behaviors as single incidents and they don't they don't look at the history the pattern of this behavior if people did if we put together a list of all these behaviors um, and i think you know i've got to tell you something going back to the police my officer in charge said to me can you put a timeline together mm. i went um what do you mean he said, like a timeline of every instance. And I, I sat there and I went away and I started doing it. He said, so it's on one page. So a, a, um, a, a time strap CPS officer can can just look at it and go, oh, yeah. And, off go. and I went away and I tried to, I literally, it was like somebody is, had taken a, a crochet hook to my brain. Mm. And I thought, how, how am I supposed to do this? And I said to him, exactly that point you can't I said if I were to write a timeline it's like war and peace 10 times over because it's every day in the littlest ways yeah and it's it's you know move how do you describe moving of the moving of goalposts where they've set a bar for you to 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 reach you reach it and they go oh yeah no but that's not good enough now I want that over there you know it's um, really interesting you know because um you've hit such a point there and I was talking to someone about this the other day and they were saying to me when they were well can you call it a relationship when it well we have to don't we we need the language to describe it yes um when they were in a relationship with this perpetrator for example he would say um you are not allowed to eat Chinese food okay yeah she then found out that when he was um, he'd moved on to to another victim, um, he they she got speaking to this this new lady, and and this person had told her she said that that's interesting because he he told me I'm not allowed to eat pizza, and, and I just thought oh my oh yeah. you know it, oh, it's it's incredible isn't oh, it. Yeah. Yeah, no, I wasn't allowed flowers. The new one, house full of flowers. So he went out and got her flowers. 
it's, it's incredible. As and, a, it's, and, because it's, and that's the thing, it's nothing to do with the thing. It's, it's um, about control. It's about, about control. control. And it's understanding that, yeah. yeah. Sorry, you move, I interrupted No, 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 I was going to ask, ask you, and, and I want to ask everyone who comes on about this, um, how can we, and this is a massive question, <laughs> how, how can we tackle misogyny? What are your views on that? Right, I think we can... How long only... have you got? <laughs> how long have I got? How long's a piece of string? <laughs> right, number one, we can only do it as a society. I genuinely believe that. Um, I have questioned whether sort of my generation dropped the baton a little bit, you know, from everything that had gone before. Um, I think we need to start with education, but don't get me started on the education system. You know, that was created by factory owners for factory workers. I don't think the system that we've got at the moment has its place um, in our society anymore. Um, we need to start with our young, mm. our young girls and our young boys. I mean, we keep, again, focusing on boys. Boys have to do this, boys have to do that. Actually, it's both because in a relationship, in a true relationship, it's togetherness. Mm -hmm. So a young chap asked me and he said, does equality mean that women are better than men? Oh. My view, my view that I have always had is that equality means exactly what it says on the tin, that we are equal. Mm -hmm. that one it doesn't mean that one is better than the other we all have skills we all have areas where we're not so good and when you come together as a couple in a relationship my belief is that that is you complement each other yeah so you can be different you don't have to be exactly the same but you know, you don't have to have this pink jobs, blue jobs thing. The porn, don't get me started on that. Oh, I'm sorry, but we need the top shelf magazines back, as far as I'm <laughs> concerned, and shut down the porn. Because, you know, we need the catalogues back. We need we need to be talking to our kids about, because um, we've got to turn the clock back. We've, this, this stuff is out there now. You know, when you have young children, young people whose first kiss, they think they're supposed to strangle. Oh my God, I know. The, the other, the, 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 you know, the, the, it's not their fault. Of course it's not. And I have to say here, um, so what, one of our founding members is uh, Gail Dines, Dr. Gail Dines, absolutely amazing. And um, and I'll, I'll post a link to Gail's work. Yeah. She, she founded Culture Reframed and they do some amazing work with children, with teachers, with families about the hypersexualization of children, you know, and only today, oh goodness me, Sam, I saw the the report about sexual assaults that, that happened in schools last year. Yeah. The first 22 pages are primary schools. Precisely. <sighs> So we as a society need to get over, right, the only way I believe we're going to resolve any of this is A, acknowledge it, B, stop being so damn squeamish about everything. Mm -hmm. This is in our society. 
Now, whether you have any moral um, issues with domestic abuse and where it comes from and patriarchy and all of that is irrelevant. There's a fact that this costs our society in the UK alone £74 billion a year. Yeah. So, you know, let's start getting a bit real about this. It, mm-hmm. It's it's not about a load of emotional, um, flappy women who are who are upset exactly. about something. It is costing every single person in our society already, whether you know it or not. Mm-hmm. And that's nothing to do with refuges. It's nothing to do with the charity sector. This is to do with our economy, mm-hmm. our industry, our um our mental health and our and our, our our care systems yes but it's actually about our productivity as human beings mm-hmm. and our children who are growing up where causing death like the 10 second I read something about the strangulation and about it's literally there's two facts one that it takes the same strength to to strangle during sex as it does to a, to open a can of coke. The other is the brain damage that is done. Oh, yeah. The instant you do it, mm-hmm. now, you know, we need to be talking about the you know the S and M and and how for some people that's that's their thing. Fine, but it's gone mainstream. It's been normalised, exactly. and this is not normal. And actually. Our children, really young, need to know that if they can get on the internet, mm-hmm. because the internet could have blocked this from day one, and they again chose not to. So we more, didn't have to have the dark yeah. web. We didn't have exactly. to have porn available. Those people, those men who introduced that, chose to allow it. So it's all about choice, and I just think that we, as a society, have a choice. Mm-hmm. It's about and it's it's about money, isn't it? I think so. So many yeah. things come back to money, and and I, and I think as well, you know, that actually I, I I agree with with everything you've said, but I think ultimately misogyny it's it's a it's a men and boys problem that is made to be our problem, and I think we we as to quote our good friend um, Dr. Andrew Cicchetti, yes. Yeah, I love Andrew. He's always saying, you know, we need all hands on deck. Yeah. We, we need men to engage. We need men to be active bystanders, to challenge misogyny, call it out when it's safe to do so. You know, that that ultimately for me, I think is so important. I also think it's also important for us to be able to say men are allowed to. A lot of, uh, it's really weird, but a lot of men who want to support feel like they have like asking permission well all I'll say is ask permission yes you've got permission you know this is why I'm a white ribbon champion as well it's like so any any man out there who who wants to look at and say well what can I do how can I do it how can I get support whilst I'm doing it go to white ribbon they're a global organization white ribbon Australia is amazing they put some um phenomenal stuff on twitter so have a look there are there are spaces for you to and it's about enabling there are spaces for you to find the support you need as well and groups Um, like men against violence against women absolutely they're all out there you know they are out there 
Um, and yeah, I mean, Andrew, I mean, Andrew's just amazing. It is amazing. But you should definitely get him on here. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I'm definitely going to do that. Um, obviously, <laughs> if he says yes, I'm, I'm sure he will. He's, he's a fab guy. Um, I wanted to ask you, Sam, about um, so something something that, you know, we wanted to talk about on here was about um, the power of music in particular. And at the end, we're going to be uh, listening to your chosen song. Yes. Um, many, many survivors talk to us about how important music is in their healing. Um, can you tell me what, what your thoughts are about that? And also, what, what was most important for you in your healing journey? Well, I didn't realise... It's one of those things that until you until you're away, until you've got that buffering, until you've got that gap, there are things that you don't realize have dropped from your life. And music was one of them. And so I grew up with music and music in the, in the house, you know, and, you know, it was really good music, 80s and 90s. Sorry, but it was <laughs> um, so. You know, but my, you know, with my mum, I mean, I, I, music from all sorts of genres all over the place, and it struck me that, along with laughter, there was no music in the house anymore, mm. and it's like that silencing again, you know, but in a different form. Mm -hmm. So learning to turn the radio back up, sing full blast in the car again. I mean, I don't know how many times, you know, I've been like up and down the motorway because we used to drive all over the place with, you know, theatre shows or whatever. I was always, always driving and just letting rip at the top of my voice, whether it's Shirley Bassey or Blur or whatever, it didn't matter. And um, it's amazing the lyrics that I know to all sorts of songs that I aren't even necessarily my thing um so yeah a bit like um like finding yourself again a bit like finding yourself again and it's it's starting to challenge I think one of the ways you start to heal is by starting to do those things you've been banned from doing so you know one of the um one of the examples that I use in in the love film is having to cut a you know a loaf of bread but you know meticulously you know the slices had to be a certain size and this that and the other so one of the things that you know you can do is take a loaf of bread and hack it to pieces cut it into door stops to, you know but that it sounds really weird mm. but it takes practice mm. because as we both know even when you're not with them they're still in your head the voice is still there. So you've got so habitualized into whatever it is you, so for instance, not eating pizza. Mm -hmm. Well, do you know what? Go and get a pizza, but it will be difficult. You mm -hmm. won't eat that pizza in a relaxed, natural, automatic way for quite a while, mm -hmm. but bring it back into your life. Start exposing yourself again to those things that you weren't allowed to do mm -hmm. laughing put the music on in the house on your own and start singing to yourself mm -hmm. you know 
because it's it's about rewiring the brain from that trauma and re you know exposure therapy or whatever um and you know i have to say one of the big processes for me was coming out and writing love yeah you know that was taking part in the i am project Mm. doing that uh that was a big part of my healing journey you know and i and it's you know, it wasn't a completely selfless thing. I mean, it was done from the point of view of literally we just wanted to do something, anything, whatever little we could bring to the table of what everybody else was doing across the board, so many people. Um, but there was a cathartic element for me in, in, in the process of, because my art, you know, I'd been banned from working. Mm. So, you know, I don't know that I'll ever get back to, I mean, I've lost it, I've got no agent, I've got, you know, once you come away from this industry, um, you know, I've got to start again. Um, I don't know that I'll ever go back to acting. Mm. Um, They are skills that you need to practice and you need to keep up, you know, and people say, oh, you know, I want you back, we want you back on telly and stuff like that. But it's, you know, I'm a different person. and that was taken from me. So to be able to marry <laughs> some of what was my passion and my love, you know, I mean, my God, what a job to have. You know, I woke up every morning like I'd won the lottery. You know, I was doing a job that I absolutely loved. Um, so to be able to do something like I say marry the two passions I now have two passions um work-wise in my life one is doing whatever I can for the rest of my days to help stop domestic abuse for everybody and the other is the arts you know I just love it I just love it so to be to be able to marry those two I feel like if love was the last thing I ever did I can die happy because it it brings together those two passions those two worlds for me um in a way that it feels difficult and hard to say but actually I'm secretly quite proud so and you should be absolutely I wanted to ask you actually about another passion of yours Go on. Which is Broxtow Women's Project. Yes. Can you tell us a bit more about some of the work they do and how people can get involved, perhaps? Absolutely. So, so along with children, suicide, all of those things, and uh, you know, we have some fantastic organisations like Women's Aid and Safe Lives and Refuge and, and everything. But again, as you once you start dipping your toe you start to realise just how many grassroots organisations are there at the front line, up and down the country, day after day after day, night after night, um, providing extraordinary support. Now, a couple of people had, once I sort of started doing my, my stuff, a couple of people had said, you know, could you front this or could you front that in terms of their organisations? And it's like, oh, it doesn't feel 100% comfortable what I love about BWP 
is the fact that they're holistic. They included the children before it ever even became law. They will support people historic, like even if the abuse was historic, you can still come to them. They're in Nottingham, which is where, you know, I was born and and and, and brought up. So it's home. Um, and we just came across each other and they're just they're my tribe <laughs> you know they're my tribe that's that's how I can put it but they're small but my god they're mighty they're 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 you know they've got outreach programs they do awareness they do training they they support children they're, they're phenomenal and I know they're not the only ones who do that but They've got this energy about them. Like I say, they punch above their weight all the time. But first and foremost, key at any point is other other victims, including the children, and they are there. So, you know, the best way to support, I talked about the 74 billion. I think the best way to support B BWP and anybody, any other um, grassroots organizations in your area and they're not just DA organizations there's initiatives there's all sorts of things mm -hmm. going on is if they've got an event attended but if whatever if you can afford even if it's pence mm -hmm. to contribute to them they don't get funding they don't get support they um not not to the degree that we think you know as a society we think they get um these are people who are passionate who are committed and who um you know are just uh, there would be so many more dead bodies without them mm. you know they help escape plans they 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 help with you know finding solicitors i mean it's like a one stop shop you know i don't know what they'd be if they were if they were you know actually publicly sector funded and and, and popular you know not charitable status um but yeah and we just get on like a house on fire i think that's the other thing is you just when you connect i mean you know so many of us do but uh colette who's who um when we did the love event project mm -hmm. the inaugural one in nottingham phenomenal oh my god phenomenal she's and brilliant, she? she's yeah. just brilliant and you know so it just felt a natural fit um but they are they are they are fantastic they are a fantastic okay. and we're going to post a link to Broxstone women's project so that people can can get involved and 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 as you say contribute even if it's just in a very small way if people are able to do that yeah i mean they do things like for instance and i know like others do it for instance at christmas time or you know at other events just taking something if if you've been given a present say that you don't want take those presents down there because then they form you know the gifts for for um either children or women who've left if you know I don't know if you buy some makeup that you get at home and you think oh I don't that actually that doesn't suit me take it you know toiletries towels yeah. and, and sort of and, and, you know I don't know maybe there's probably health and safety things to do with towels I probably shouldn't have said that but 
you know, there are so many ways that you can help support. Mm -hmm. uh, businesses can help support as well. That's my next project is 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 uh, linking with businesses. So Ida, who are the Employers Initiative Against Domestic Abuse. Um, can you tell no, us more about, about what you're going to do next, Sam? Can you tell us a bit more about that, about the, the upcoming projects you've got? Well, um, the love events hopefully are going to be rolled out on a more... We've done a trial and uh, it was during... The, so it started in Nottingham with BWP. Then other people started asking if they could hold, hold their own events around love. And it's a new thing. So that it's... Um, it's called event cinema. Amazing. So you take a, a, a film like Love and you create an event around it so that people can, there's common ground. There's common ground, there's connectivity. So it doesn't matter what walk of life you're from, whether you're a boss or a CEO or a cleaner, you have a shared experience that then starts conversations, which then hopefully leads to actions. And it's about reaching outside of the DA sector to other aspects of our society that have a role to play. Mm -hmm. Definitely. And not only inviting them to do that, but actually pointing out it's pretty vital because mm -hmm. it's impacting their workforce. Yeah. The children that are coming up, you know, it, it's it's... That's why I say, even if you, if, even if you really don't give a damn about the human cost or the human mm -hmm. element, just look at the. I can't remember how many trillions it is in the US. <laughs> Sorry, I've got a cough. <laughs> how many trillions it is in the US? That'd be very unpleasant. But, um, but I, I don't even know if there's a word for how much it costs globally. Mm -hmm. So you know, when we're talking about our energy bills and stuff. So if you think about the 74 billion that it costs in this country, the black hole, the fiscal black hole that Rishi and them were talking about was only 60 something billion. Mm. We'd have had 10 billion left over if we got rid of abuse. Mm. I, I was talking about this to, to our to our friends in the States the other day, and we we really need to get a, a full picture because. I mean, it must be costing an extraordinary amount. We don't, we don't even have the data linking the health outcomes at the moment, and it's something we we want to work on. Um, and and you you brought up children, and I wanted to ask you, Sam, um, about how we can truly centre children in the courts, and and I and I want to do that thinking about the role of, as you know, um, unregulated experts in the family courts, which is a huge issue for us at the moment. Um, and, and my personal view is that we, following the Melanie Gill case, which in case people don't know about that, um, it's been, been reported on quite widely and we'll put some links to that, but essentially, the, the president of the family division, Sir Andrew McFarlane, he said that it, it, it's ultimately for parliament to decide um, how a, a psychologist is, is, or any expert is regulated. 
and 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 our concern um and i have to say as well i just want to give a quick shout out to uh, to taiwo Oatemi, who was the mp is the mp for coventry northwest and and taiwo brought a fantastic um parliamentary debate about this um again i'll post a link to this and and it was attended by jess phillips who was absolutely fantastic they were all amazing but the outcome of that was was Mike Freer saying that um, he would essentially raise the regulation of, of experts to the Department of Health and Social Care. And uh, so we're waiting for that outcome. But my major concern and, and, and Shearer's major concern is that we have these sort of um, so-called experts of so-called parental alienation well again needs a whole other podcast in itself but um how can we truly center children when we've got people who are currently unregulated uh functioning in our family courts assessing children without regulation claiming expertise in something that's a pseudoscience how how can we truly center children with that happening and also when we have the domestic abuse statutory guidance the coercive control statutory guidance that quite clearly rejected alienating behaviors and yet we've got CAFCAS who use alienating behaviors in their CAF their, their, their assessment framework. How can we truly centre children when, when we don't have clear accountability, clear regulation and, and, and clear policy that's aligned to, you know, the practices of the professionals in our courts? How it, it's mind boggling to me. But again, I guess it comes back again to silo working, doesn't it? I mean, what are, what are your thoughts about the whole unregulated experts? And I'm going to have to pause. <coughs> I've got something in my throat. throat. Oh, sorry, excuse me. Oh, no, it's terrible. okay. Do you want to? Have you got a drink? I forgot to bring a drink of water. It's all right. It'll be okay now. I don't know if you, you'll have to cut that out. That won't be very unpleasant. Um, Right, so, well, this is from my view. Um, So number one, I think the opening up of the courts is absolutely essential and it needs to happen now. Again, we come back time and time and time again with all of these discussions, we come back to leadership. It's about parliament, it's about directives from the top. And I don't think it, it, it doesn't matter which party is, is in, in power, it should be irrelevant because this is people's lives and this is our, our justice system. Whether you're red, blue or yellow or, or pink should not make any difference between right and wrong. So that should be ring-fenced in my view. So I think it's actually, quite a lot of gaslighting goes on absolutely from parliament this idea you know oh we're doing this we're doing that we're doing the other and i come back to that uh civil court thing where when it's oligarchs 
and and uh, journalists, things can be changed like that. When it comes to predominantly women and children, how many decades have we been having these conversations? Jess Phillips, all of these amazing people, time and again, putting these arguments, standing up year on year in court, in, 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 in Parliament. They can't even be bothered to turn up and listen. Mm -hmm. So that brings me to respect. Mm -hmm. Now, children are human beings. Mm -hmm. They do have a voice. They're not stupid, you know. They are, they tend to see things, yes, black and white, but, the, you know, they know right from wrong. Mm. They know when somebody is hurting them and when they're not. So I think a bit more respect towards children and them actually knowing their own voice. And I think the key factor, the absolute key factor is they need to feel safe. Mm -hmm. Then they will tell you exactly what's going on. If they don't feel safe, they will have learned in an abusive household to, well, fear, flight, fawn, you know, whatever is needed to survive. They've learned that. So you have to make children safe. Now, having a stranger come and talk to them, ask them questions that may actually also be triggering trauma wise I have seen that with with various social workers and things with others uh you know they're following a a uh, you know a standardized questioning thing where they've actually re-triggered the child mm. um and it's down to understanding what coercive and controlling behavior and abuse is i am i am of the belief i know not everybody is but i am of the belief that coercive and controlling behavior is the absolute heart of abuse that leads to it's 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 the core of it i know other people don't but i believe it is i think that leads to everything else for the simple fact that you without coercive and controlling behavior anybody being physical generally they, that would be it you wouldn't you, you you wouldn't allow anything to happen you know or certainly not to come back again you'd bring the police that'd be it but anyway that's just my view but in terms of the unregulated experts to me that's a complete oxymoron they're unregulated so what are they doing in our criminal justice system? If any, you know, the amount of unregulated people that are allowed to give an opinion on others' lives, you know, we, again, we don't do it in the criminal justice system. You know, you don't have unregulated experts coming in and just giving their opinion, which is what it is. And a case being resolved on that. Can you imagine the uproar? It's crazy, isn't it? And, you know, what? <sighs> Gosh, I mean, I come back to this so often, this this case in particular, and um, it was argued on behalf of, of Melanie Gill that, that strict rules on regulation would only further reduce the very small pool of experts willing to assist in private law cases. Now, for me, that, that was a red herring because that felt, for me, like they were saying, well, you know, 
if we if we look at the NHS, for example, we've got a crisis in terms of doctors. Yeah. Are we going to then say, well, let's just let anybody say they're a doctor? Yeah. Uh, uh, you know. This is what I think it's very helpful when you take a scenario and put it in a different context. Exactly. It really helps people understand that. Exactly. Um, you know, and, and the, the, the fact is, is that what are they an expert in? Pseudoscience. Yeah. <laughs> what are they? You, you, they, they are not an expert in that child's life. They're not an expert in that marriage. They're not an expert. They don't know them from Adam. You know, when, like when I talk, um, I can only speak from what I've either experienced myself or learned or read about or whatever. But we're all learning every single day I think the day we think we're expert in anything mm -hmm. is the day you should really should hang up your boots mm -hmm. you know in that sense um so but I if mean, we're going to put yeah. if, if if this is if these family courts are about children and about what's best for them then the expert is the child and the expert is the parent they feel safe with, mm -hmm. properly safe, in my view. Now that, uh, unless the actual system, A, genuinely wants to, and B, gets off their backsides and actually does something to understand coercive control and abuse, mm. we're on a hide into nothing but it's putting children in danger you know 100%. and and I think I had it I was having a, a discussion with a barrister the other day about this and and they were saying you know in the family courts we start in this position of well somebody's lying but actually what we need to start from is the position that uh, you know what does the evidence tell us the evidence tells us that false allegations of abuse are rare, globally yeah. less than 10%. So, so what we need to do is we need to start from a position where we believe whoever is reporting abuse, we start from that position, we, and that doesn't mean uh, the other person's guilty. It means, no. it means we validate the victim who is reporting abuse. We start from that position, we safeguard them, safeguarding yeah. 101, yeah. And then from there, you know, we, I mean, how many experts of coercive controlling behavior do we have who've already given us the tools to map perpetrator behaviors? We've got the Safe and Together Institute, you know, uh, Ruth and David Mandel. We've got uh, Evan Stark, Jane Monk Smith. Smith. We've got it's, fabulous it's, Emma Katz, you know. This is why you get to behavior. a point where you start to wonder, is the fact that this is all continuing actually by design? Mm. Because if me, as a lay person in my front room, who has, you know, no academic or political or social or whatever uh, qualifications, can understand and grasp that this is patterned behavior that we can intervene and that you can literally if it's preventable no if it's predictable it's preventable 
Exactly. And if I can predict it, me, Joe Bloggs, can, can predict it and can understand it, why can't they? And the, uh, it comes to a point where you go, because they're choosing not to. And also, you know, given, I think it's so what it's about between 49 and 62% of cases in private law that we know of, um, probably much higher, involve domestic abuse. Yeah. Why are the courts not instructing domestic abuse experts in these cases? You know, because these so-called alienation experts, they do not have coercive and controlling behaviour expertise or domestic abuse expertise. In fact, their so-called expertise is in, is in something that's been globally denounced by multiple organisations. You know, the science is not there, but the science is there for coercive and controlling behaviour and domestic well, abuse. Not only the science, but the evidence day the evidence. in, day out. Now, um, you know, so the question is, why aren't local to whatever court you're in why isn't your local women's aid or or, or exactly. organization exactly. there yeah you know they are you know great and they get paid whatever the going rate is for them to give their expertise which is actually uh, not only is it uh grassroots and uh fully understood but I think it's actually also uh, more neutral in the sense of because they're so used to they've got so many they've experienced it from so many different people and so many different walks of life and so many different social structures so many different incomes mm -hmm. they're actually able to be more it's not neutral what's the word that I'm looking for when it's fair um equitable yeah, so that, that, you know, there is no favour one side or the other. Mm -hmm. um, and they they can, but you're right, you know, it's there. It's there in black and white, book after book yeah. after book, research after research after research, figures after figures after figures. And, um, it, yeah, but it's like you do, you do, I have at times come to, the only question that you can then ask is, it has to be by design, by the courts, by parliament, and by these structures to not do anything to change it because everything is there. We're here, we're a whole army who mm -hmm. would bend over backwards to help them implement these things. Yeah. Uh, Three years going, after the bomb report. Oh, yeah. You know, we don't know. You know. Erin Pizzi set up the first refuge, well, in the 70s. It were 100 years since the suffragettes. We're still talking about family courts. We still have secret courts. Uh, uh. Well, yeah, I won't I, I won't get into a conversation about uh, <laughs> about Erin Pizzi. Um, I've got uh, different views about about her. But but what I, what I mean is you know I, I generally the, yeah. generally yeah. in the public you know we know that that was that was the first official sort of, of like course. refuge of or whatever set up that's what I mean you know that was the seventies. Mm -hmm. um, but ultimately, what you're saying is, isn't it? We can't you know we have the tools we have the tools to map perpetrator behaviours. We 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 have never ever said, although lots of people claim otherwise 
that a child cannot be weaponized. We know children are weaponized. We know yeah. that. What we say is we need to look at the context. We need to map the history of the behaviors, the history of the relationship, and it will soon become clear who the perpetrator is. It will. Yeah. If it's done properly and it's done with people who are experts in coercive control and experts of domestic abuse. Yeah, who understand it and who know what they're looking for and who yeah. are able to have that balanced view, like, a, you know, like many other uh, um, experienced people in their field. Um, you know, and I think this idea of sort of like what's best for the children, um, I think we need, you know, what, what, might be, what, what might be one of the better phrase things one of the things to do right now which would help change a mindset is what's safest for the children exactly it's about because that's that's where you're coming from what is safest for the children Mm -hmm. mentally physically emotionally financially educationally uh you know social all of those Mm -hmm. what is safest let's start from that premise exactly couldn't have said it better, Sam. I, I could I could talk to you all day, Sam. I really could. Same here. I, I just love every time I speak to you. I feel so empowered and just, you know, that we're really on the right track. And I know we're going to get there. Um, but I'm going to bring us to our last question. Well, I, I asked you to, to bring a song that means something to you. And the song you chose, which so many people will relate to, is I Will Survive by Gloria Gaynor. Absolutely amazing song. So we're going to end by playing that out. But before we do, I just want to say thank you so much for joining us. But before... Thank you. No, no, honestly, Sarah, it's been absolutely amazing. Um, And I hope you come back as well. And and we've got so much to talk about. Oh, yes. But could just before we go to that, could you tell us a bit about what this song means to you? Well, I know it might seem a bit cliched, but it's because it's a cliche of why, to me, it's important. So when I was pre, pre-abuse, PA, pre-abuse, let's claim that, those, that lettering as well. So pre-abuse, you know, I would be on the dance floor, I'd be, you know, singing my heart out, shaking my booty like you wouldn't believe to this song, <laughs> right? And it was... But then when I listened to it, I, it was about, you know, I will survive it about me, about, you know, what I really empowering for me, but I concentrated on what the woman was saying about her. Mm. Post-abuse, like with many things, you start to see things in a different light. And when you look at the lyrics, when you actually listen to the lyrics, and what I do now is I hear them differently. So, you know, at first I was afraid, I was petrified, you know, petrified. And you are petrified in these relationships. The entitlement that's in the song, that he just walks back in, he's used his key, turned upon her sofa, how dare he, you know? But it took all the strength I had not to fall apart. Um, you know trying to break me with goodbye do you think I'd crumble do you think I'd lay down and die you know these are really powerful Mm. lyrics that happen to be set to a disco theme which is just (laughs) blooming fantastic 
but it's it's a, to me it represents how things change mm. once you've been through this experience and you can't undo it you can't once you've seen it you can't unsee it once you've heard it you can't unhear it but at the same time that's not necessarily a bad thing or it's not a negative you know it's not in an ideal world nobody ever should experience this and I think if you're lucky enough to get to a stage where you can listen to songs like I Will Survive and it not trigger you. Mm -hmm. you've, you've done phenomenally well because this is a, you know, this, the things that we go through, the experiences that Survivor ha has, you know, they are equivalent to war veterans. Mm -hmm. It's the same tactics. Absolutely. It can literally change your DNA. So something as simple as listening to a song and still being able to enjoy it, even though it triggers you because you're hearing it differently, is, uh, for me, that represents, this song represents where I've got to in my path with domestic abuse in my life. But then I spent so many nights thinking how you did me wrong And I grew strong And I learned 